firestorm could lead to new trials for hundreds of convicts in Mississippi. There are questions about the former state pathologist and his testimony could uproot more than a thousand cases. 16 WABT's. Haley Elise Olivo was born in January of 1992, and by late 1993, Haley's father was separated from her mother, Allison, because he had been arrested and placed in a correctional facility on a probation violation. Haley was spending part of her time with her grandparents, the Laytons, and the rest of the time, when she wasn't with the Laytons, she was with her mother and her mother's new boyfriend, a guy named Jimmy Christian Duncan. And when Haley was in the care of her mother, she spent a considerable amount of time with Jimmy Duncan at Allison and Jimmy's apartment in West Monroe, Louisiana, while Allison would be at work. And on Saturday, December 12th of 1993, 23-month-old Haley Olivo was at the apartment her mother shared with 25-year-old Jimmy Duncan. And unfortunately, on this day, their apartment would become a crime scene. So, on this day, at around 8.30 a.m., Haley's mother, Allison, left for work, leaving Haley with Jimmy Duncan home alone. And later that morning, at around 9.45 a.m., a neighbor named Floyd Bennett was outside playing basketball with his son when he said he witnessed Jimmy walk in the direction of a nearby local store and return smoking a cigarette. During Jimmy's absence, Floyd Bennett said he could see both entrances to the apartment, but he saw no one exit or enter. Now, I'm not sure why he said that, but he did. And at about 10.30, Jimmy knocked on the Bennett's door, and at this point, he was carrying Haley's lifeless body wrapped in a towel. And so, Bennett said that Jimmy was, like, pleading for them to help him revive Haley, and so that's exactly what they did. Like, Floyd Bennett and his wife began working as a team doing CPR on the child, trying to resuscitate her, and while they were doing this, the Bennett's son actually had called 911. So, when Floyd Bennett cleared Haley's throat to perform CPR on her, he said he found what appeared to be, both to him and his wife, uncooked oatmeal. Within minutes after their son placed a 911 call, Detective Shane Harris of the West Monroe Police Department responded and arrived at the scene. Detective Harris relieved the Bennetts, and then he continued the efforts to resuscitate Haley. Both Detective Harris and the Bennetts described Haley's body as usually cold to the touch. Both Detective Harris and the Bennetts described Haley's body as unusually cold to the touch and purplish in color and lacking a pulse. They also claimed to have noticed what appeared to be a small red mark on the child's face as they attempted to revive her. Keep this in mind because it will be important later. Almost immediately after Detective Harris took over doing CPR from the Bennetts, paramedics arrived and then they took over doing CPR. Um, while the paramedics were trying to like perform CPR on Haley, they asked the wife of Floyd Bennett to like escort Jimmy Duncan, who was like hysterical at this point, out of the house and onto the porch. So Floyd Bennett's wife said that that's what she did, and after she like took him out to the porch, that's when Jimmy told her that he had left Haley in the bathtub while he was washing dishes in the kitchen. He said while he was doing dishes, he heard a loud noise, and he returned to the bathroom to find Haley face down, drowned in the bathtub. I remember he said face down at this point. And then he said, um, not knowing what to do and not knowing how to perform CPR, he just grabbed her, put her in a towel, and immediately brought her next door. So, Jimmy Duncan also told Floyd Bennett the same story later that morning when they were all at the hospital. Now, according to the Bennetts, they said that they noticed two things that made them suspicious of Jimmy's accidental drowning story. One was that Jimmy took the time to wrap the baby in a towel. 
Miss Bennett said, quote, If that had been my baby and she had drowned in the bathtub, I would have never took the time to pick up a towel if I did not know CPR, end quote. Okay, Karen. The other was the alleged uncooked oatmeal that they had cleared from Haley's throat when they began giving her CPR. So, once Detective Harris was relieved by the paramedics, he went outside on the porch to speak to Jimmy, like, in an attempt to learn the circumstances that actually, like, led to this emergency. After repeated requests, Jimmy responded that he was home washing dishes and that Haley was in the bathtub eating oatmeal, keep this in mind, and playing with toys. Now, you gotta keep these details in mind, okay, because he conflicts some stuff. After a while, he told police he stopped hearing Haley make any kind of noise, and when he went to check on her, he found her laying face up in the bathtub motionless. Last time he said face down. Like, same porch they're talking on. And, um, Sergeant Willis of the West Monroe Police Department was also dispatched to the scene, but when he arrived, Haley was already being placed in the ambulance. So, Sergeant Willis just followed the ambulance to the hospital. And at the hospital, um, Haley's relatives were, like, there, and they were voicing intense hostility towards Jimmy and posing questions at Jimmy regarding, like, what he had done to Haley. In an order to avoid, like, confrontation, Sergeant Willis took Jimmy to the police station, and it's noted that Jimmy voluntarily went with him to the police station at this point. The emergency room records reflect that on arrival at the hospital, Haley had no sign of cardiac activity at all, like, whatsoever. And extensive efforts to revive Haley proved to be unsuccessful, and at 11.15 a.m., Haley Olivo was pronounced dead. So, Detective Chris Sasser, Sasser, S-A-S-S-E-R, I think, was the principal investigating officer assigned to this case. And after photographing the crime scene, this detective went to the hospital and, and examined and photographed Haley's body. He noticed what appeared to be several bruises and then rolled the child on her side and observed extensive injuries to her anus. Now, keep in mind, he's not noticing any red marks on her face, okay? But armed with this information, all this guy officer has is the, you know, extensive injuries to her anus and the, far, the fact that she's got, like, marks on her side or whatever. Um, but that's it. So, when he got this information, he went back to the West Monroe Police Department and that's when him and the police chief, like, started to question Jimmy extensively. And that day, Jimmy gave two recorded statements. One was at 2.02 p.m. and the other was at 3.45 p.m. But before doing so, Jimmy was advised of his constitutional rights and executed a written waiver of his rights. So in both statements, Jimmy made conflicting statements about the accidental drowning story that he relayed earlier that day to the Bennetts and to Detective like Harris, the responding officer. And during Jimmy's trial, both of these conflicting statements would end up being admitted for the jury. In his first statement, Jimmy described the morning as uneventful. He stated that Allison left to go to work, which was at about 8.30 a.m. He said he then got Haley up out of bed, and his plans for the morning, in addition to watching Haley, were to clean the house. So he fed Haley some oatmeal, then began picking up, and then put her in the tub to take a bath. Another conflicting thing, because he said she was eating oatmeal in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. Okay, so while he was cleaning up the den, he said Haley called to him which she didn't say earlier, and she said she had used the bathroom, like, in the bathtub. So he said he went in there, he cleaned her off, he ran some fresh bath water, and then put her back in the bathtub. And at this point, he went into the kitchen and began washing dishes. 
When he heard her splashing in the tub, he went to check on her, and that's when he said he found her unresponsive in the tub. Okay. On this statement, he doesn't say whether she was... He unsuccessfully said he attempted to, like, administer CPR, but was not familiar with the process, so he decided to go next door for assistance. He grabbed the child and ran next door to see if someone there could, like, render medical assistance to her. And he said in his rush to get out of the house, he, like, fell over some blankets he had left in the hallway. Now, that that come from out of nowhere. So, listen to this. The second statement, according to Detective Sasser, was taken to record Jimmy's response to questioning regarding how the anal injuries had occurred on the child. At one point in the second statement, Jimmy stated that he jerked Haley out of the tub by grabbing her by the neck and by the top part of her leg. At another point, Jimmy said that he was holding Haley's body in that same way as he stated in the previous statement when he tripped on a blanket while rushing out of the apartment. At yet another point, the following exchange took place while Jimmy was being interrogated by the detectives. So, I'm going to be reading this like word for word from like the, the court, I mean the transcript from the interrogation. So the detective said, we questioned you later about marks on her buttocks area, swelling in a large, her rectum being exposed or open. Did you give chief, the chief an explanation of that a few minutes ago? And Jimmy said, yes, sir. And the detective said, what reason? And Jimmy said, I just, you know, the only thing I did was I washed her. I washed her little butt. I washed her around her little butthole. She had crap smeared on her. In one of the statements, Jimmy indicated that he spent the prior night, Friday, December 17, 1993, watching a movie at the apartment with Allison and some friends. One of those friends, a girl named Ginger Ford, gave authorities the details on the events of that night. She testified that they spent the night watching the movie Raising Cane, drinking and smoking marijuana. She further testified that Jimmy wouldn't stop pressuring Allison to go to her mother's house and pick up Haley that night, knowing that Allison had to go to work in the morning and he would have to babysit, which was weird. <clears throat> However, Allison later testified that her mother actually wanted her to pick Haley up that night so she could go Christmas shopping the next day, which I don't really believe that because if it was up to the Laytons, they would have they wanted that baby. They would have kept her like her Allison's parents. But in any event, at about 8 p.m. that night, Allison left the little get-together they were having at their house and picked Haley up from her mother's house. And when they arrived back at the apartment, Haley told everyone goodnight and she went to sleep. At trial, Allison testified that when she left for work at about 8.15 or 8.30 the next morning, Haley was fine and even told her goodbye. Similarly, Jimmy, in his recorded statements, indicated that earlier that morning, Haley was like completely normal. She was playing normal. She was watching TV, and he did notice like, and he didn't notice anything wrong with her except that her bottom appeared to be a little pink when he was cleaning her after the accident in the tub. Which to me is so weird that he keeps bringing this up. Okay, but in a minute, anyway, Jimmy acknowledged that no one else was present in the apartment that morning except for him and Haley. So that's an, an important fact in this. After Haley was pronounced dead, her body was then transferred 120 miles east of West Monroe to Jackson, Mississippi for an autopsy. Dr. Stephen Hain, a pathologist, performed the procedure and noted acute injuries to the child, including the severe tearing of the anus. 
Dr. Hain found no oatmeal or pill fragments in Haley's stomach or anything like suspicious. The autopsy report listed the cause of death as freshwater drowning. The finding was found to be supported by the following five factors. The absence of clotting of the blood, foam in the light trachea, presence of water within the stomach, like hemorrhage of the right and left ridges or something. I don't know what that means. Or absence of other causes of death. So, Dr. Haim would testify in detail about the anal injuries suffered by Haley, claiming that they would have caused severe bleeding and that the lack of blood on the exterior part of her body suggested that she had been washed before being brought to the hospital. He also stated that based on the observations of the Bennetts and Dr. Charles Norwood, the emergency room physician who actually treated Haley, he said he believed that Haley was dead for at least 45 minutes before she arrived at the hospital. And tracing back, this placed a time of death well before Jimmy left his apartment to seek assistance from his neighbors like the Bennetts. So the state's evidence also included testimony from a Dr. Edward, a pediatrician who testified that this was the worst case of anal sexual abuse that he had ever seen, which is interesting. So Dr. Edward also testified as to the amount of bleeding the wounds would have caused and the suffering endured by Haley, like, before her death. Um, this doctor also testified that it was unequivocally, or the doctor testified unequivocally that the victim had been anally raped, like several times. So there's several people testifying that. The defense pathologist, Dr. Robert Kirshner, who concluded that the victim had died as a result of an assault, but stated that her anal injuries could have occurred up to 24 hours before her death. So he, even the defense like their pathologist, he acknowledged the anal abrasion shit like that, but said that it could happen 24 hours, so it might not have been him. Um, so they, they were there. Anyway, however, on cross-examination, Dr. Kirshner concluded that the injuries would have been extremely painful and would have been evident from Haley's demeanor immediately after being inflicted. Crazy. So, a like hotly contested issue at this trial on which extensive testimony was taken was whether was whether certain wounds on the victim's body were bite marks inflicted by the defendant, Jimmy, during the course of this assault. The first suggestion of bite marks on the victim was made by Dr. Hain during his autopsy. In order to explore this possible bite mark evidence, Dr. Hain called on his good old friend, Dr. Michael West, the forensic odontologist, to evaluate the child's body. To make the comparison of the possible bite marks of the defendant's body, Detective Sasser obtained a search warrant for Jimmy's oral cavity. Pursuant to this warrant, Jimmy was taken to the local dentist, who took the impressions, which were then turned over to Dr. West for purposes of making the comparison. Before trial, the state, who apparently was concerned over the doctor's past ethical problems, actually would replace Dr. West and would retain a Dr. Neil Reisner, who was another forensic odontologist. Like, and as discussed in more detail elsewhere, in his opinion, Dr. Reisner testified with varying degrees of certainty that wounds found on the victim's cheek, neck, and elbow were caused by Jimmy Duncan's teeth. Now, they did replace Dr. West because of ethical problems because they were scared that this dude was going to get an appeal based on Dr. West testifying in this case. Um, but Dr. West was, in fact, the one that actually was the person who actually 
the one who had the mold of Jimmy Duncan's teeth and compared them to marks on the baby's body. And um, there's literally a video that was like somehow released like 15 years after this trial happened. Um, and you can actually see Dr. West placing the, the mold of, of Jimmy Duncan's teeth like into the baby's skin. Like you can actually see him doing that like on her cheek, on her elbow and stuff like that. So and before you can clearly see in this video because their video and the autopsy, you can actually see that the bite marks were not there before Dr. West made them, like, like, literally made them, and they were, like, bright red and fresh looking, and so it's crazy, so the only thing that this doctor, the doctor, Neil, like, Neil Reisner, who actually testified in placement of West, he just got to see pictures, he didn't actually get to see the baby's body, he, so he was not the one that performed the autopsy so, therefore, of course, he's going to think, you know, okay, that he sees the mold of this Jimmy Duncan guy's teeth, and he sees the indentation on the baby, and, uh, like, the pictures and stuff. Of course, he's going to think that, yeah, okay, that looks alike, he, but it's a whole lot, but I'm going to have the video of this linked below where you can actually go see for yourself the fuckery that's going on with this autopsy. But, anyway, in contrast, the defendant's expert... Dr. Dr. Edward Sovereign, a forensic odontologist, testified that none of the markings on Haley's body were bite marks at all. This doctor testified that, in his opinion, that these marks were like lacking corresponding teeth prints. Like they had, it had like a single arch bite mark, and those are rare, and it's something that Jimmy Duncan didn't have. The defense forensic pathologist, Dr. Kirshner, testified to a reasonable medical certainty that the injuries were not bite marks as well. So the state originally planned to charge Jimmy Duncan with just negligent homicide. But it wasn't until they received a report from the Mississippi pathologist Stephen Hayne that conducted the autopsy regarding the extensive and intentional nature of the injuries inflicted on Haley, which keep in mind, like they didn't say the anal. The person who brought up the anal injuries, like the investigator was the one who found them before the autopsy actually came out. So what I'm trying to say is the investigator, Detective Sasser, he actually went to the hospital that day. Haley, like right after Haley was dead, looked at her, examined her, and stuff like that. He's the one who like noticed the issues with her anal area. And so he immediately went to the police department and started questioning Jimmy before they got the autopsy report back. They were going to charge him with negligent homicide. But they said, I don't know. It's weird to me. that It's a weird thing. I don't know why they're saying they, they were going to charge him with that until they got the autopsy regarding like the bite marks on her. Which were not even his bite marks. But... The state, after they found the, saw the autopsy and um, they saw these possible bite marks, the state elevated the charges to be asserted against Jimmy Duncan to be first-degree murder. But then it ended up being capital murder. But the state's case was built on circumstantial evidence, and here's why. A thorough search of the crime scene revealed neither blood nor semen or any types of biological fluid, nor was any blood found on Jimmy's body or clothing. The only direct link the prosecution was able to make between the victim's injuries and Haley was, like, premised on the bite mark evidence. That's why they had the bite mark evidence. Okay, that makes sense to me now. Because they couldn't really prove he did the anal thing either. Yeah, that makes sense. That may, I, see, I was wondering, why would they have to do that extra? Okay, that makes sense. 
The, the state's most telling witness was a guy named Michael Cruz, and he was an inmate who, on December 28, 1993, briefly shared a cell with defendant Jimmy Duncan. That day, Cruz testified that he woke to find Jimmy ranting and raving about his charge. Cruz told Jimmy, quote, If you are innocent, then justice will prevail. But if you are guilty, Jimmy then began sobbing and made rambling statements to him, telling him that, quote, The baby was pointing at his penis and that he said something about a bottle or bobble, end quote. Further, Jimmy Duncan said, quote, That it must have been the de- Further, Jimmy Duncan said, quote, that it must have been the devil in him. Because the next thing he knew, he blacked out. And when he came to, he was trying to have sex with the baby, end quote. Still further, Jimmy said that the baby was hysterical and that, quote, all I wanted was for the baby to stop, end quote. So the defense theory at trial was that someone else was responsible for assaulting Haley. Among the possible suspects the defense sought to explore were Allison, a suspected child molester that lived in the same neighborhood, Robert Haber, or Haber, and Allison's parents, the Laytons. Another possibility the defense explored was that Haley, who had been taken twice to the hospital during the previous few months for possible seizures and a head injury from an alleged fall, drowned as a result of a seizure induced by a reaction to some drugs that the hospital put her on, or from another accident or another assault. But the truth is, we will never know the true story of what happened to Haley Oliver because Jimmy did not testify and tell his story at trial. And the jury would go on to find Jimmy guilty as charged and would sentence him to death by lethal injection. And he still remains on death row to this day. And I'm not sure how I feel about this case, you guys, because Stephen Hayne and Michael West literally made up these bite marks on this child. I swear to God, there's proof of it. And like I said, there was no DNA or biological fluid like that would tie, even if, even if the baby had been, you know, molested. We don't know that Jimmy did it. There was no proof that Jimmy did it. So anybody in her life could have done it. Like she spent most of her time with her grandparents, not saying they did anything. But I mean, it was, she wasn't just with Jimmy all the time. And the baby died of drowning and they were just going to charge her with negligent homicide, which is like five to eight years in Mississippi, I think. So he wouldn't have, it's just crazy how Stephen Hayne and Michael West have literally like destroyed our system, the legal system in Mississippi. And that's why I'm doing this podcast because I want to bring to light everything that they've done. Even if Jimmy Duncan did do all these things, Lord bless his soul. Um, if he did. I don't I know the bite marks weren't true. I've seen the video. Y'all need to go see the video for yourselves. It is crazy. And Stephen Hayne and Michael West are complete assholes. And so it makes you rethink like, okay, did this dude do any of it? Because they did the autopsy. How do we know that Stephen Hayne and Michael West aren't lying about anything else? I don't know. But yeah, that's the story of Haley Elise Olivo. Wall Street Journal editorial accuses a former state medical examiner of making mistakes during his examination. Mistakes that would lead to innocent people going to jail. John Callahar explains in tonight's top story. As a medical examiner, Dr. Stephen Hayne testifies in court on a weekly basis to his findings from autopsies. His business, Pathology Consultation Incorporated, performs between 1 and 2,000 autopsies a year. But an opinion editorial in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend accuses Dr. Hayne of making mistakes in those autopsies because he performs too many. 
Senior editor of Reason Magazine, Radley Balco, also claims Haynes' testimony about his findings often falls in line with what the prosecution is trying to prove. Haynes' testimony in the trial of Tyler Edmonds claims from the body he examined, two people held the gun that killed the victim. Edmonds was 13 when convicted. The Mississippi Supreme Court overturned that ruling earlier this year after throwing out Haynes' testimony. Balco has followed Haynes' work since he started investigating the case against 21-year-old Corey May. May shot Prentice police officer Ron Jones as Jones entered his apartment to execute a search warrant. Haynes testified in that trial also, and May was given the death penalty. It was Balco's work that helped overturn that sentence. May is now serving life at Parchman. Currently, Dr. Hain receives a lot of business from overloaded county coroners. Each autopsy he performs, Dr. Hain receives $550. Balco claims that's why Hain does so many. Hain refutes that, saying he isn't the only one performing the examinations from his office. Dr. Hain told WLBT by phone he was tired of the attacks. Hain says, quote, We will address the issue in a court of law, and we will have no difficulty proving our point, end quote. Balco wants the state to revisit every case Hain testified in, as well as requiring contracted medical examiners like Hain to meet certain professional requirements. In Jackson, John Callahar, WLBT News. The National Association of Medical Examiners limits the number of autopsies of medical examiners.